Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work. You can send along an email if you'd like to john at johnwarrenmedia.com or just go to the website and look for our contact page and send along some comments there. Well, my students have encouraged me from the beginning to do this podcast and They've encouraged me that they they like my uh, my rants, my ranting, and uh, that that might not suit adults necessarily, but it's uh, I think it's time for that. We've just uh, wow! I have to thank Charlie Parrish again, Pastor Charlie Parrish of Foothills Community Church in beautiful Marble Hill, Georgia, for coming on again last week and talking about the. Uh, the state of the church. He is uh, he is courageous. He's measured. He's uh, biblical in his view, and uh, I'm I'm grateful for him and for his friendship. He's been on this podcast, uh, this Relentless Truth podcast, many times, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for pastors who who lead well, teach well, and stand well. And Charlie certainly does. I hope that episode was a blessing to you. If you missed that one, uh, go back and uh, you can you can find it in the archives uh, on my website. It'll it'll be on the uh, the homepage of the website down at the bottom uh, for another couple of weeks. Then you can always just kind of page through the old episodes. It is shocking to me that we are coming up on you know in the not too distant future in a couple of months we'll be at the year and a half mark. For this uh, podcast, it has been uh, just an honor to get to do this and to uh, bring you this material. You may or may not agree with me after this particular episode. It's funny. I try to track. I, I don't obsess over the numbers like you might think I would if you know me. But we've had some episodes that have been really well received. The Romans series was well received. Uh, Sharla Elton, the uh, superintendent at Heritage Christian School in Canton, Ohio, well, that episode was uh, very well received, and all of the episodes that Charlie does uh, have been uh, have been well received. So I'm grateful that uh, there's some good content there. We've had uh, we've had journalists, we've had uh, uh, folks involved in ministry, we've had athletes, and uh, it, it's just been a lot of fun bringing you this content. I've tried a couple of times to explain as best I can in these crazy times the economy. I, I want this podcast to be a service to you. And uh, I talked uh, several times over the last year about the economy and, and where it's going or where I think it's going and maybe kind of what to what to look for in the economy. And I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage uh, here because I care about the quality of this podcast. And so Josh Brown and his folks, uh, Jen Ransom and others at his productions, they do the 
the production post-production work on this podcast. And so I, I have to give them some time. And so I, so I try to, to do that good work and, and wow, did they do a great job. And so I stay a few weeks ahead as, as you've heard me say several times. So that makes talking about the economy in a current way a little more challenging. But I want to I want to talk about this uh, just a, a very practical, you know, I, I, I don't approach these things the way uh, Dave Ramsey does just to say it. I don't think there's anything wrong with most of his advice. But, you know, this isn't a, a guide to you know, personal finance. It, I'm certainly not giving uh, investment advice or anything of the sort. I really am just wondering if I could rant today, if that would be okay, about a couple of things. I, I'm wondering if you've noticed what I've noticed. And and I and it goes back to kind of the the definition of capitalism and and it, it goes back to our core economic foundation, I think, in capitalism. And and you hear all this talk and and, and oh, I just get I get exhausted with this. You hear this talk about, you know, we're drifting towards socialism and, oh, my goodness, um, Ocasio-Cortez and, and Bernie Sanders and others are they're, they're going to they're going to ruin the country and plunge us into, you know, we're two steps away from Venezuela where you'll hear people say or read and on Twitter or wherever else you know, the, in news stories that uh, we're, we're becoming a third world country. And, you know. That that annoys me. Um, since I'm ranting, I might as well uh, acknowledge that um, we're not becoming a third world country. The biggest threat to this country, I believe, is is our national debt, which is at thirty trillion dollars. But we have an unfunded fifteen trillion or so on top of that, depending on what you count and how you count it, in entitlements that are committed and other programs that are committed into the future. So we're 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 close to closer to to fifty trillion than thirty trillion, and that threatens us. I don't like the student loan forgiveness program that the Biden administration has apparently signed into law, sort of, without making it law through an executive order. Uh, first, I don't like that process. I don't like it when any president does that. There are some things that have to be done by executive order. Those, those are the things that are necessary to execute the laws that are on the books. But when they start pioneering, when the executive branch pioneers, I cringe. The, the framers of the Constitution set up this government with checks and balances, and the Congress is, is uh, you know, the House and Senate are supposed to make the laws. So, so we have a Republican form of government. You know this. It ha- we have Democratic-style elections, you know, we our government functions at the consent of the governed, and you you know all about that. And that's a, a concept that made its way into our our founding documents. If you if you believe the Declaration of Independence is a founding document, it, it kind of is. It's kind of a we'll huff and puff and blow your house down. You know, we're we're uniting sort of, although we didn't unite much after that. We tried. And then there's the Articles of Confederation, which didn't really talk about money enough and didn't really give the federal government and federalism enough authority. And then there's this beautiful document then that was ratified in 1787 called the U.S. Constitution, which which did you know form this 
great nation. But they're they're and and so so the the style uh, uh, the economic system the foundation for this economy is this thing called capitalism. It's really liberty when you when you look at it. And I know I've talked a lot, even going through Romans about our our Christian liberties and 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 but this this notion of liberty and, and you know we've talked about the liberty paradox that that you know we do we give up some liberty to 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 have liberty and so this capitalist system this it, it's a system where the government doesn't own the means of production there all my economics friends would be proud of me for saying that the means of production being all the stuff the the labor and the and the equipment and the stuff that is necessary to make things that's all it is said in a really unsophisticated way that's that's what it is and so when the state owns it we call it socialism when the when the people own it we call it capitalism and then and then there's a third thing we call communism which is where not only does the state own the means of production so not only is the economy socialistic but the government owns everything and controls everything and when I say everything, I don't quite mean everything, but they try to control all aspects of life. And you know about communist systems and you know which ones are, I mean, you know, you know about big bad Russia and China and and Venezuela and others. And if you're old, like I am, you faintly remember maybe the Vietnam War and the reasons we got into that. Well, our system our economic system is is capitalistic now what what does that mean well it means that individuals own the means of production so you can own a factory you can own the land you can own the dirt under it you can own the building you can own all the machines you can hire people you can make things you can invent you can create you can rent all those things but but private citizens and companies own the means of production, the stuff that makes the the goods, the economy run. It also works in the service economy. Uh, the means of production are more intellectual there, but 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 there there are office buildings and desks and things, and and there are machines involved. There are goods involved. Uh, there are there's equipment. There's uh, furniture, fixtures, all the rest. All that stuff is owned privately in capitalism. Now. And we, we've been this kind of country in, in this economy. In fact, our constitution is among the most enduring. I think it is the most enduring document in the world as far as federal governments, actual state governments, states, meaning independent places with sovereignty like France, Germany and all the others. I believe our, our constitution is the most enduring and, and that has a lot of uh, the, the, the amendment process has a lot to do with that. And so it's been amended 27 times. It's actually, that's not true. It's actually only been amended 18 times because we did the bill of rights in one fell swoop. So uh, here we are, we're talking about capitalism. Our, our economy runs on capitalism, that is private ownership, private wealth, wealth in the hands of the people. And that is derived from this fundamental notion that our government serves the people. Our government serves at the, at the, at the um, consent, with the consent of the people. People express that consent by voting. Now, I question, I don't question, I'm certain that 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 consent kind of stops after we vote and they take office about about the moment they 
finish the oath of office, and this is true, the House and Senate, they start fundraising and doing all kinds of other things. And I have been, you won't, you're not going to believe this if, if, if you haven't heard me say this, um, I, I, I try to call Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, Florida's two senators, in my classroom on a speaker every year. Neither of them have taken the call. Their aides sometimes answer. Most of the time you get a recording. And this is during business hours. I've called several of their off. They have multiple offices, one in each in D.C. and then some in Florida scattered around. I've called, called all their phone numbers and never and left messages and never gotten a return phone call. Uh, I One time Rick Scott's aide answered and he subsequently put me on some mailing list so I would get all the propaganda about all the wonderful things Rick is up to. So I'm not sure about... You know, I, I mean, we express the, our consent when we vote for them. I'm not sure we do that. We express that consent. I'm not sure they listen to us after they're elected, in other words. Because I, I actually think Americans are smart. And, and I, I know there are some Americans who go out of their way to disprove that they're smart. I, I you know, I, I know we have some fairly creative people who on TikTok and other places who reveal that they're not that bright. But, but I think... For the most part, we have bright people, and I believe that the average American is somewhere between displeased and appalled with our, our representatives and the way they spend money, the way they conduct business. Where, wherever you are on the on the political spectrum, I, I, I think you're dissatisfied probably most of the time with our representatives. And, and, and maybe that's not true. Maybe if you live in Vermont and Bernie Sanders represents you and you're liberal, you're, you're happy. I doubt it. I, I, I really think there's, there's tension in the American system and, and that's, that's probably a healthy thing. But anyway, where, where are we now? That, that's what I want to talk about today with capitalism. You know, we, we, we've, you, if you're a student of history, you know, the various um, points throughout our history as a country, our relatively brief history as a country, yeah, you know about our our challenges economically. You you probably know that you know just to just to keep it relatively current to go back about a hundred years. You know about the Roaring Twenties. You might even, if you're a real student of economic history, you might even know that we had a recession slash depression in the early twenties, like nineteen twenty twenty one, uh, right after the flu epidemic, and then. And then we recovered. Happy days are here again. The electric light happens and, and and appliances in the kitchen. And oh, my goodness, we can now we can do things at night. And and Americans started buying things on credit and, and people buying things on credit, using credit to buy things and overextending themselves is a theme throughout our economic history. We get in trouble when we do that. We did that. There was speculation in the stock market. There was speculation using debt in the stock market. And along comes the. Great Depression. And we've had other moments like this. We, we, for the most part, experienced a boom in, in the economy after World War II. Not, not immediately, but in, you know, we, we had some challenges during the Jimmy Carter years in the, in the 1970s. And, and then along comes Reagan and, you know, and we've enjoyed a pretty good couple of decades there. And then, and then 2008 happened and that's where we probably all remember the calamity, the sudden relatively sudden calamity and 
industries failing, government printing money to prop up industries and, and all the rest. And, and that's kind of what you get with capitalism. You get these peaks and troughs and 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 they happen for various reasons, sometimes internal, sometimes external, sometimes based on interest rates, sometimes based on, um, you know, always based on uh, based on supply and demand. And, and, and so capitalism has cycles. And then when government gets involved, and I've said this on this podcast before on a couple of the economics episodes, when government gets involved with even with good intentions, they tend to make the troughs, the, the downtimes longer. And, and they try to stimulate the economy. They believe they have a duty to do so. The Federal Reserve believes they have a duty to do so. And so we end up with, with longer troughs. The government kind of gets in the way. I'd like to see the government take their hands off the economy a little more. Now, there are people who, who believe taxation is theft and government shouldn't be, you know, involved in much of anything economically. And, and, uh, and, and they, they talk about redistribution of wealth and all the rest. And I get so tired of that because most everybody I know when they dial nine one one, they want somebody to show up. And when they, when they get in their car to drive, they want to drive on good roads. So, we're all okay with some redistribution of wealth. We just don't want too much. And and we certainly don't want government interference in the economy that exacerbates the 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 troughs. And in other words, uh, sort of holds the economy down uh, when we could be enjoying economic prosperity. And so we fast forward to today, which is it's kind of dangerous to do in just 18 minutes like I just did. But we fast forward to today and look at capitalism. There, there are some who say capitalism has failed because it's unfair. You'll hear all this nonsense, and it's, it's nonsense, I'm not afraid to say that, about equity versus equality. Be very careful as you listen to those dog whistle words. Um, when you say equity, you're talking about fairness of outcomes. When you say equality, you're talking about fairness of opportunity. So yes, we want equality, equity. If you mean what the word says, we don't necessarily have as an aspiration. I mean, would the world be just really cool if we could all hold hands, sing songs and all have exactly the same amount of money and all of that and the utopian kind of stuff that Marx talked about? Yeah, sure. That'd be great. It doesn't happen. It won't ever happen. Have some people taken advantage of capitalism? Yes. I'm going to talk about some in just a minute. Yeah, they have. Is capitalism this utopian ideal that, that, no, it's not. Is something utopian, just to keep using Marx's word, intrinsic in capitalism? Nope. Nope. Are we guaranteed that everyone will be treated fairly in capitalism? Nope. No, it's just an outline. It's just a framework. So capitalism, you, you know, you can like it or not. It, it's like it's like saying, OK, we made the playing field level and we're going to let every team show up and play the game. That's that's all capitalism is, is the we're going to play in. We're, it's the weather we play in and, and both sides are going to play in the same weather. All sides in capitalism we are going to play in the same weather. If we if we can do that, then we have capitalism. And we're going to let these forces, this this thing Adam Smith called the invisible hand of the market, supply and demand, and primarily demand. We're going to we're going to let these forces unfold 
and it'll determine winners and losers based on who took which risks and which ones were smarter and which ones were more creative and which ones employed the right labor, which ones had more skilled labor versus unskilled labor. And you can go on and on and on. And we're not going to do that today. So capitalism is just the framework. It's not inherently evil, but big, but there are bad players in capitalism. I'm seeing something going on right now. I'm wondering if you're seeing it. If you are and you have examples, I'd love to hear from you. Send an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com or a comment from the website contact page. So I'm wondering if you're seeing this. There are companies right now taking advantage and they always have. And it just wears me out watching this happen. This, this bait and switch, this, these advertisements that, you know, I see them with cell phone services, uh, the, the actual services, like I'm not picking on anybody cause I, I don't want to disclose which commercials I'm unhappy with at the moment, but you know, Spectrum, Verizon, all the rest, AT&T, all, all of them. And you know, what's interesting about that, and, and this, this happens in other industries as well, but here we are, we've got a capitalistic system And companies have figured out, you know, they do all the disclaimers on the ads and the attorneys are are counseling them on what you can and can't say based on the FCC rules and all that stuff. And really, I I, I just called about one the other night. My wife said to me and I I wasn't paying attention because I don't pay attention to commercials. And and uh, there, there was an ad for, you know, you can get unlimited data and and messaging and phone usage for uh, I was 30 or 35 bucks a month. And she said, wow, we're paying like closer to 50. Uh, why, why don't you, why don't you call and see, see what that is? Well, I did call and uh, uh, found out that uh, that's if you have five lines or more. And I, if, if again, I wasn't paying attention, so I don't know whether it was in the fine print or whether they said it, I don't think they did. And, and I just wonder, why, why do you do this? Why do you, why do you hide those things in an ad to get us to call? Because your salespeople are put in an awful position. You know, if, you, if, you, if you call and you think you're going to get something for $35 a month, they're oh, just getting it 60 yeah, unless you have five lines. Well, we don't, there are only the two of us. Our nest is empty. Our daughter's off in a PhD program. We don't, we, we don't, we don't need five lines ever. And so why would you do that? Well, you, know, you know the why? The why is because leads, qualified leads, that, that is uh, on something like this, you know, a lead that has an interest in the product, has a phone already, needs a service, are hard for them to find. And so they just don't tell the whole truth. But, but it gets worse. That's a petty example. Since I'm ranting today, bear with me just for a minute. I want to talk about the car industry. And I want to talk about realtors, the housing industry. Now, now, I, I'm going to step on toes and I, I, you know who you are. If you're my friend and you're in those industries, uh, I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm thinking of some people right now who I love dearly, value very much. They don't play games. They do the right thing. I so want to name a couple of them, but I'm not going to do that because I don't want to give commercials to some people and not others. So but but there there are there are car dealerships. So so what we're having right now, you, and you know this, we have these these chips, these computer chips that apparently do all kinds of wonderful things in in our cars and newer cars. And there there was a shortage. And I mean, first there was a supply chain thing where 
because of COVID, people weren't working and ships with cars on them were circling around in the harbors and might still be, I don't know. And, and it just took longer. And then the, now there's an employment issue where we can't find enough qualified employees. It just takes longer to build things. If you've bought furniture or you've bought a car or you've bought any appliance, my goodness, we waited forever for a, for a new wall oven to replace our existing one that seemed fine to me, but it had discolored a little bit. And my wife didn't like it. So I think we waited eight months, nine months on that one. And, and you would have waited, you know, a week before at the most. And so you, you've got supply chain issues. You've got these computer chips. You've got the implications of COVID across the globe, you know, in China in particular, where a lot of these things are made. So we have, we have tension in the system. It's still capitalism. It's not a third world country, although we're spoiled rotten and we want it now. And, and I'm, I'm guilty of that. But in particular, the, in, in the car business, what is happening? So inventories are low. If you it, it just just if you haven't done that, I bet you've already done this. But if you if you haven't noticed, go drive in your part of town. You know, they seem to congregate car dealers do. And there, there's a whole theory about why that works. And people like to go to one part of town and go to all the car dealers. And then some like to locate on their own somewhere else. But if, as you drive by them. In, in your normal course, look at their look at their lots and and look at their inventories or go on their websites and, and look at their inventories. And you'll see that inventories are a fraction of what they were, of what they usually are. And if you talk to them, if you have friends there like I do and you talk to them, you will learn that they're selling far fewer vehicles. However, and so my I, I, I sound kind of tough sometimes on on capitalistic free market principles but i also care about people i care deeply about people i want to love my neighbor as myself i want to do that well and and i was talking to a friend of mine who owns a dealership about about the the current you know craziness that's now gone on for two years in the market in the in the automobile industry and i said wow are, are your what's going on with your salespeople? And, and he said, well, you know, some didn't make it and, and they had to go do something else. But but that's always true. But he said, actually, the, the guys that are willing to work, they they're making as much money as ever. They sell fewer cars, but we're making so much money on them. I said, what do you mean? And and this this isn't true at some dealerships owned by some of my friends, but it's basically true at most dealerships. And that is their. They're taking MSRP, the manufacturer's suggested retail price, that number none of us would pay because we have all these services like Edmunds.com and Consumer Reports and Auto Trader and all the rest. And if you don't know about those and you want to learn more about them, send me an email, I'll tell you more about them. But, you know, we've had all those services telling us what other people are paying. And, and usually it was a lot lower than the manufacturer's suggested retail price, the price on the sticker. And then they started doing, during the COVID period covid era they started doing these bump stickers what's a bump sticker you ask well it's we take the manufacturer's suggested retail price of forty thousand dollars and we put a bump sticker on it we sell it for forty five thousand dollars well what do i get for the extra five thousand dollars because the manufacturer has made the car and they and they they're willing to sell it for 40 in a normal economy but because demand's so high we can get more for them because 
oh, wait a minute, you have to wait. Now you can't even test drive the car before you agree to buy it. You agree to buy it while it's on a boat or it's still in the factory. And this, this is not how it works with every make and model, but with most of them, this is how, if you bought a new car, you know this is true. And you say, oh, well, wait, I'll go to a pre-owned car, a certified pre-owned car. That's almost as good, right? I can find a low mileage certified pre-owned car. No, you can't. You're going to pay a fortune. They've marked them up as well. You know, the Black Book or Kelly Blue Book, their Black Book is one dealers use, but Kelly Blue Book is available to all of us on a website or some other service. Look, look at those numbers for used cars. Sometimes the car that is a few years old and has low mileage costs more than a new one would now in this crazy market that we're in. Now, now I'm, I'm going to say something that sounds cruel. It sounds cold. I bet you've thought this, though. I think so. So there's a there's a car dealership that sells. It's not an exotic car brand. It's a German car brand, <laughs> which almost gives it away. And, and I know the family that owns the dealership and I know their character. And I'm going to tell you what they're doing. They're not bumping their prices over MSRP. Now, you can't go in and negotiate and haggle like you did before. You're paying MSRP. And, and, they, and they've always given fair prices for trade-ins and all the rest. And they are continuing to operate that way. They are not doing bump stickers. They are not bumping the price up over MSRP. Most are. And you know why? Because they can. And you know, they don't care. They don't care who you know. They don't care what your position is at your company. They don't care how many vehicles you've bought from them. And and I say they don't care. Uh, you know, there are some exceptions, sure. But anyway, here we are where this industry is is just a mess. Now, I've I've said three times, two times before now, I'm saying it again now, in my career, my business career, where I had some idea of what was going on in the economy, I've said, wow, it just doesn't get any better than this for some segment, usually a large one of the economy. Every time I've said that, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you when I said it, I said it in 2006. And if you go back a little further, I said it in the, in the late 80s, 88, 89, right in there. Both times, and, and, and now we had a real estate recession in the early 90s, and, and you know what we had in 2008 and 9. We had a huge recession, the Great Recession, it's called. And I would say that we're, we're back there again. And now, if I had been alive in the 1920s, and shocking to my, shockingly to my students, I was not, I would tell you that, that we, we all would have said that, wow, it just doesn't get any better. This is just too good, this economy is. Too robust. And, and, you know, we're back there now. If a car dealer can get you to pay five to $10,000, so I'll go ahead and let me just confess the rest of this. I'm sorry for all the personal stories here today, but I, I'm really trying to prove a point. Uh, Nissan has done away with the old Z. And if you're my age or even a little younger, you grew up, well, in my case, not being able to afford sports cars, sporty cars like that. And... Oh my goodness, I just remember my friend's sister drove one and it, they're just incredible. Well, they they I owned a couple over the years as I was an adult and um you know, just for fun and probably shouldn't have, but I just really like that sporty car that is affordable. And and now 
so they, they've stopped making the old kind and totally redesigned it. And they have 244 of them, I believe the number is. I'm doing this from memory. That are they, they're, called, they're called the prototype. Now, they're this really bright, yellowish, greenish color. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. But it's such a cool car because the back of it is such a throwback to, to the old days of, of the Z. It had morphed. It had changed quite a bit over the years. And so they've gone back to this, this, this new design and they've released these 244 prototype cars. Listen to this. You have to pay. So sticker is like $52,000, something like that. But if you want one because of demand at, at almost every dealership and probably every dealership, I obviously don't know them all, but I've talked to a few, you're going to pay $30,000. You'd pay $82,000 for a Nissan. And at many of them, you're going to have a bump of $50,000 on this initial prototype just because they're rare and collectors and investors like them. And people my age who have some money now are the nostalgia just overcomes them and they do stupid things with their money, like paying $100,000 for a Z. If you want to pay $100,000 for a car, get one made in Germany. And I mean, it's not even necessary to pay that much. My goodness. So in any case, the, 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 the car industry in this, in this capitalistic society has gone awry, in my opinion. And, and I think they're going to pay for it. I, I, know, I know I'm going to, when, when this is all going to shake out, I, I don't know when, a year or two, maybe. That sounds awful to me to imagine. But, but I enjoy cars. I enjoy that industry. And the next time I decide to buy one, when the economy is normal again and inventories are back to normal, I think they're going to be giving them away and I'm going to make them give them away. I'm going to negotiate harder even. And, and I don't say that, you know, to be difficult. I say it because my goodness, that I express demand as a consumer and the consumer is getting ignored here. And we're letting this happen. Believe me, the invisible hand of the market decides how the market's going to go. The supplier can only do so much. If we all stop buying them at ridiculous prices, they'd have to drop their prices. Which brings me to the next industry. And I want to talk about this one for just a few minutes. And that is the housing market, the housing industry. Now, you've, you've probably seen that we went, we went for a period after 2008 and 2009. We went, we went for a number of years where builders didn't do too much. I mean, spec building, specul speculative building, building houses that aren't being built for a particular owner, but are being built to sell at some point during the process. Those were very rare for a number of years after 2008 in most cities throughout this entire country. And in the recent three or four year period, the market started coming back and now it just got crazy. And and it, it really started to heat up in 2020 and 2021. In 2022, this year, the market has gone even crazier, is even hotter. And, and what that looks like in Florida, where you have supposedly 2,000 people a day moving to Florida on average, what that looks like is a realtor puts the house on the market for, for a high price, for, for, for sometimes 20% higher than they could have sold it a year ago, even. And, and they put it on the market on a Friday, Thursday or Friday. They, this, is, this is the new pattern. 
and and they they might have an open house they might not might not need to even and and they'll have multiple offers by monday and they'll put a little notice out that by five o'clock on monday or tuesday uh, we want your highest and best offer and what realtors will tell you and some of you probably experienced this some of you had to move for a job or for your your kid's education or, or, or for some other family reason or some important reason. If you had to move, you probably heard this from a realtor. Oh, if you just offer the asking price, you won't get the house. You have to go higher. Oh, how much higher? Well, then they, they make up numbers. You know, on a four hundred or $500,000 house, it might be twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 more than the asking price. Now I thought, and I know I sound old when I say this, but that's okay. I, I thought the asking price was the asking. I thought the asking price was the price, on, on especially on a house, where, where you would be pleased to get that number. I mean, throughout my entire adult life of buying and selling many houses, I, I never paid more than the asking price, and I don't think I ever will, God willing. And because I, I, I thought, you know, when you go to Target, and, and, and there's a price tag on an item, it, it, I think it means Target is willing to part with that item for that much cash. You go to a restaurant and they don't say, you know what? Just kidding. Just kidding. It's not 20 bucks for that entree at the nice restaurant. We want you to make up a number because you're bidding against that table over there next. I know that's absurd, but I mean, you get the idea. Asking price is the asking price. And, and in my humble opinion, it's a moral issue. And I, I know people right now you're saying, Oh, don't be like that. It's not a moral issue. You get as much as you can and nobody's forcing these people to pay those. No, okay, they're not. You're right. But watch what's happening now. Now you're seeing inventories going up, homes available going up. And, and, and now you're seeing, so, so in, this, in this sea of opportunists who are trying to say, there's a house in my neighborhood that they're asking $980,000 for it and it's not a six hundred thousand dollar house in under in a normal economy, and they can't sell it for nine eighty. But so you have this sea of opportunists, and buried in there are people who actually need to sell their houses and want to sell their houses. So now that that bidding war has stopped for the most part, and now inventories are going up, and you're starting to see price drops. You'll pre, you're probably seeing this in your town. And you're beginning to see some competition. Now, there are still some hot markets that are still hot and going to be. But, I mean, just just look at this. Look at this craziness where, and, and, and I, I think it's related. I, I, you know, I don't want to sound like a Puritan, but I, I think it's related to our moral condition. I mean, when, when we embrace, I mean, well, here's what we've done. We, we've embraced postmodernism, which says we're post-truth. Well, the, asking prices don't matter. I mean, what... You know, a handshake and a deal where you look each other in the eye and you have a deal. Those are increasingly hard to do, aren't they? If not impossible now. And so now you've got this sea of realtors who, yeah, they make more money when the the asking price is higher. And some of them live in the neighborhoods where they have most of the listings. And they, I mean, I'm, you know, they're, they're just being capitalist, I guess. But, but I, I think they're losing their way morally. I mean, I'm not condemning, I, I think, uh, but I don't like it. If you say, I'll sell my house for $500,000 and somebody comes along and says, I'll pay you 500000 I think you're obligated to sell it to them, assuming they, they have the cash to close and the willingness to close. There's nothing else wrong with them or wrong with the deal. Weak about the deal. 
But no, we assemble 10 of those people. Sometimes they're from out of town and they've never seen the house. So imagine you, you talk about buyer's remorse. Oh, you didn't show me that cell tower off in the distance in the pictures. Or, oh, you didn't, you didn't show me the crazy neighbor next door with all the noise or, or the lighting from the parking lot across the way. I mean, I, I, I understand people are smart and you can fly around on Google Earth and look at a lot of things and, and, and determine the strengths and weaknesses of a property. But there is nothing like, and there never will be, test driving a car or walking the property and walking through a house. It is amazing to me that we spend more time making a purchase at Lowe's sometimes than we do a house. We research and we look at competitors and their pricing and we ask them to hold it and we go in and we buy it. Sometimes we don't even go look at the house now. We just fish around on Realtor.com or Zillow and we say, I think, I think I'll have that one. And then they tell us, well, nope, you can't pay the asking price. You're going to have to pay more. And we go, okay, here's another 30 grand. Will that do it? Nope. Somebody bid 35. You want to go higher? And then these escalator clauses. And I, I, you know, I know I'm not condemning everybody who does all this. I, I know you're just doing what the herd does, but I don't like it. And I don't, I don't think it's right. Um, I, I mean, I understand that you'll starve if you, if you don't do what the industry is telling you, you have to do. But I would just I would just push back a little and say, wow, isn't asking price by definition the asking price and these bidding wars? You know, we're going to have a recession. So so what's going on behind the scenes right now is the Federal Reserve is uh, it's not really behind the scenes, but but behind the scenes are about eleven hundred PhDs in economics who are who are doing the math to say, how do we stop? inflation that 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 what they mean when they say that is not not the underlying cause of inflation the devaluation of our currency but the rising prices how do we stop them and the answer is you slow down the economy well how do you do that the only tool the fed really has they have a couple other tools they can use but the the really meaningful one the 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 efficacious one is 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 to raise interest rates and they're they're doing so by the time this episode is released they will have raised rates yet again in late September. So they're going to chill the economy when they do. I, see, here's where my, my heart aches. People who need to sell a house who are young and they have a family of four or five and, and, and they didn't need to move for work or because of some family or some, some legitimate issue that they're going and they've been lost in this sea of opportunists and, and they're going to have a hard time selling that house. And they've looked at Zillow and they see that Z estimate or whatever you call it. And they've looked at other valuation models on Realtor.com and they've said, oh, my house went from worth X to X plus 40%. I can't believe this. Look at this windfall. Isn't this wonderful for a family? And they're going to find out, nope, nope. That realtor that took that listing at that really high number was counting on conditions in the market continuing. So, um, you know, that that's that's capitalism. That's how the market works. I, I don't like I, I don't like some companies that are gouging people. Uh, I mentioned cell phone companies. There there are others, plenty of others. I, I'm so tempted to mention a couple uh, just, you know, restaurants can't find people to work and they're jacking up their prices around in our town. They're they're closing on on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday or Monday and Tuesday and just open a few days a week. I mean, that's happening in a lot of towns. And so, so the economy's a mess. 
Uh, that's my rant. Um, I, I, you know, we either have principles or we don't, and we're proving in this economy. Uh, and 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 the, I'm picking on the automotive industry and housing. They're just kind of the poster children for this. They're 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 just the example. They they are not. They did not create this problem. Um, they're not forcing people to buy. And and uh, if if you believe in a free market with supply, demand, and price equilibrium, then then you have to accept this. And I know that's the argument against what I'm saying about these auctions and the bump stickers on on cars and all the rest. But but I just think it's going to come back when when the when the market settles. I think it's going to come back to hurt those industries in particular. I think we do have short memories in this country, but I think we do have memories. And uh, anyway, that's that's really my my thought on the economy. You know, there, there's a verse I want to read uh, here in closing uh, from Colossians, Colossians 2.8. And I'm, I'm going to do another episode on this entire section. The, the episode's going to be, so you call yourself a Christian. Can you explain what that is to another person? The implications of that to another person. Can we really... You know, can, you know, this never happens, I, I guess, or rarely happens. But somebody walks up and says, OK, I know you go to church. And all, what, what, what's a Christian? I don't even know what a Christian is. What is that? What do you believe? Well, there, there's this section in Colossians and Colossians 2 that I really like. But I'm, I'm only going to read one verse uh, for today's episode. It says, uh, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Isn't that interesting? Paul is talking about the fact that ideas matter. Philosophy matters. I grew up thinking that the world was all about math and science and people who studied philosophy or, or the arts or the humanities were stupid. And I was wrong. If I had studied my Bible more carefully at that age, I would have realized that that was wrong. Because this notion of being taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit, this blindness that we have to truth, this lack of discernment, lack of wisdom, God promises to give to us. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I'm not suggesting that if you don't agree with me on the economy and on those industries I just mentioned that you're philosophically twisted. I, I, I'm not suggesting that at all. But I am suggested, suggesting the importance, and I'm, I'm suggesting that Paul is talking about the importance of the ideas that we embrace. It is important for us to go to Scripture. It's important for us to read Scripture daily. It's important for us to know Scripture. It is amazing how little I've memorized in Scripture, although I've memorized more than I realize I've memorized. At times, I it suddenly occurs to me that, wow, I've read that so much that it's kind of in there somewhere. But but when you think about how important it is not to be taken captive, and then he says, by human tradition, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. I mean, we love human tradition. We rely on it. We don't want to swim against the current. We don't want to be on a lonely island. But that's exactly what happens to us if we're Christ followers. I'm not suggesting that you, you, the takeaway today is, uh, John said, go out and just, just be as weird as you possibly can. That's not it at all. But, but we're supposed to be discerning. We're, we're not supposed to be held captive by human tradition. And, and I don't like the tradition. It's not really a tradition. It's a pattern that our government has of bailing, trying to bail us out of the economy and keeping us in a recession, a trough 
for a long period of time. And tell you one other thing in closing, we are in a recession today. A recession is defined as two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. That is gross domestic product. That is our economic growth. That's the stuff we make and sell that people buy and companies buy. That's gross domestic product. Two consecutive quarters, traditionally, the traditional definition, you got to be careful to say that, is that two consecutive quarters constitutes a recession. Well, first quarter and second quarter of this year, we had negative GDP. So we're in a recession. The Fed is going to make it worse in their battle to tamp down prices by continuing to raise interest rates. Now, we're, we're nowhere near the average interest rate over the last 50 years still. Interest rates might feel high to you, but they're still very low. So the Fed has some more room um, to go, to, to increase, uh, to cool off the economy. So our, our great hope is in Christ. We don't need to wring our hands, but I wanted to rant today about the economy. Capitalism is neither good or bad. That's like, it's like saying, wow, that, 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 that beautiful football field that's crowned in the middle just perfectly, it favored one team and not the other. I mean, you know, that, no, no, it didn't. And under normal circumstances, that's not the case. This economy, this economy runs on freedom, on, on capitalism, and that's neither good nor bad. It's what humans do. It's the decisions, the strategic and policy-making decisions that we make that are so important. So if you're in a company that is making bad decisions or you've been asked to or you've seen opportunities and you're in one of these industries that has benefited from this environment where supply is low and demand is high, I, I would just say it's time for some self-examination to think about that and think about whether it's right or wrong. I, I am not imposing this burden on you, putting a burden on your back, on your conscience. But I would say that we should just examine ourselves and look at scripture and try to be discerning. So thanks for hanging with me through my probably most negative episode yet. I pray for this audience uh, often. Um, I am uh, just blown away by your uh, listening and the comments that I get and the the contacts I receive uh, to encourage this work to continue and God willing it will into the indefinite future. So please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Go to uh, johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work. Feel free to send along an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.